0: Welcome back to Respect the Dead, the podcast where we don't.
1: And I'm Kalen. (laughs) <laughs> Did we get
0: that yet? <laughs> not yet. No, not yet. <laughs> well, hi, I'm Hoots. I'm Kalen. <laughs> and I'm Mandy. When last we met, I walked you through the sequence of events that led to the Oklahoma City bombing, the creation of The Turner Diaries, a novel beloved by white, violent white supremacists, uh, the sieges of Ruby Ridge and Waco, and the genesis of the modern American militia movement over uh, about a 30-year period from the early 1960s to the early 1990s. Today, we're gonna to talk about that bombing and the man who was responsible, a man called Timothy McVeigh. Timothy McVeigh was born on April 23rd, 1968, in Lockport, New York, and raised in Pendleton, a strip of white suburbia near Buffalo. So he was a tourist. We should have seen it coming. hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm he was an only child and growing oh. up his grandfather <laughs> how dare <laughs> disgusting a tourist only child
1: these two things combined the absolute
2: <laughs> disgust on Kalen's face okay it, it's like
1: <laughs> it's like the i am lord voldemort thing turning into or tom riddle turning into <laughs> lord voldemort but it's like only child and tourists turning into terrorist.
0: Wait, only child tourists?
1: Did you call him a tourist?
0: No, I called him a tourist.
1: Okay, even worse. I was like, tourist?
0: No, honey, he's a tourist. He's April 23rd. Okay, uh, so yes, he was an only child. And growing up, his grandfather instilled in him a deep abiding love of guns. He'd take little Timothy out shooting regularly and taught him about safe handling of guns and the rights of gun owners mcveigh collected superhero comics and soldier of fortune magazines he was also very tall and skinny and in high school other students teased him and called him noodle mcveigh and allegedly that was the beginning of his deep hatred of bullies and bullying
2: like it's noodle mcveigh noodle mcveigh i almost said not the
1: n-word and was like that's taken <laughs> but at at some point Just- He was like, "I am being slurred."
0: I'm sorry, like, like getting getting your panties all in a bunch about being called being called Noodle McVeigh is like, oh my god, you're skinny shaming me.
2: It's not my fault. I'm so tall and skinny and model like, like fuck you. I can't help it that I have such a good metabolism.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's not my fault. I have a gorgeous skinny little metabolism, and I look like Angelina Jafucking Lee you poor thing
0: yeah it's actually <laughs> <laughs> stop bullying me I, n- I didn't ask for this perfect body a burden. <laughs> but like whatever like mcveigh hated it and he would frequently fantasize about retaliating against bullies for calling him too skinny or whatever like okay i'm sorry not to harp on it again but like noodle mcveigh is also like not a nickname that you would come up for like somebody that you hate it's like the way you would like roast your friend like because it's, like, low-key kind of, like, a compliment,
1: you know? Yeah. Noodle isn't, I'm sorry, but noodle?
2: You skinny little noodle. <laughs> noodle! That's what you'd say. You'd be like, get over here, you little noodle. Like, I could see it being very, like, cute. Yeah. Hey, noodle! Yeah. Hey, noodle! <laughs> and he's like, I'll
1: get you one day.
2: Like, <laughs> like calm
1: the fuck down. I thought we were, yeah, I literally it thought we were was clearly some
0: people that thought they were his yeah. friends. Like, <laughs> After high school, Timothy ended up enlisting in the US Army in part because it would give him more training and access to guns. Quote, I was an admitted gun enthusiast, oh, and so you can't go wrong with brushing up your skills and hell, the army is free ammunition. So I wanted to get out and experience the rest of the world. I wanted to get out of my isolation of Pendleton. The army seemed to be really good for McVeigh. Um he was really good at his job and he seemed to fit in amongst his peers. However, from the start, it seems he had uh, some some pretty bad opinions around race. McVeigh was reprimanded by the military for purchasing a white power T-shirt at a Ku Klux Klan rally where they were objecting to black servicemen who wore black power T-shirts. Some like Um, a real big different things are different moment, you know,
1: that sentence. Yeah, took me. (laughs) all sorts of places yeah
0: i i just want to circle back to what i said like literally one bullet point before though like he really (laughs) fitted fitted in with his peers but also they were like you have to stop being racist we love you so much but like you're a little on the racist side
1: listen (laughs) news we get it (laughs) sometimes things that are different are gross <laughs> but like you don't need to go to a kkk rally you can yeah. just make really offensive jokes with all of us here back at the barack yeah
0: after being promoted mcveigh earned a reputation for assigning undesirable work to black servicemen and using
1: racial slurs
0: so you know it was a, it was a pattern that continued
1: oh so <laughs> they can't say noodle but he can say mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he was like one of those n words is okay <laughs> then he was deployed to iraq in the first gulf
1: war bye girl
0: it was here that he started to become disillusioned with the u.s military and the u.s government uh in interviews after his arrest he'd talk about how he'd actually been kind of horrified by the carnage he he'd witnessed in kuwait and how meaningless it all felt quote my overall experience in the gulf war taught me that these people were just that They were people. They were human beings at the core. They were no different than me. Then I had to reconcile that with the fact that, well, I killed them. So his problem seems to be mostly with Black people, not really Middle Eastern people.
1: Yeah, I was about to say, he was like, wait a second. These are people. (laughs) Unlike (laughs) those hateful noodles back home.
0: (laughs) At that point, he kind of like flunks out of the army for lack of a better word he he ends up getting honorably discharged in 1991 um after like getting a- disillusioned and kind of like um failing out of a lot of um not not military courses but like his upward trajectory um, so he, he gets honorably discharged from the army in 1991. And after leaving the military, McVeigh starts to feel kind of aimless. Uh, the failure just starts eating him up inside. And it's around this time that he started getting into really weird anti-government conspiracies, like that the United Nations was going to take over the United States. And it's also around this time that he got really, really into a little book, called The new Turner moon. Diaries. No, we're not
1: guessing. <laughs> oh,
0: I know that book. Yeah, I know her. A new Moon. <laughs> he was especially drawn in by the protagonist of The Turner Diaries, Earl Turner's anti-government views and the message that you have to take drastic violent action for the government to take notice. In early 1992, McVeigh wrote a couple of letters to a local a couple of local newspapers, the Lockport News and Journal, complaining about taxes and in his letter complaining to the local newspaper about taxes he writes quote is a civil war imminent do we have to <laughs> shed blood to reform the current system i hope it doesn't come to that but it might
1: <laughs> but it might bro is like turned
0: up to 11 all the time There's literally Truly. no
1: way to know <laughs> um does also does anyone know where i could buy dynamite <laughs>
0: just curious his personal life is also really not doing great around this time he wasn't getting along with his family (laughs) i bet yeah because he was he was getting real weird Anyone
1: who is writing letters to a newspaper is like like they are unbearable to be around (laughs) i don't care what you're (laughs) writing to the newspaper the second you start typing that like you have gone so far beyond i want to talk to the manager you're like i want to talk to the media
0: (laughs) facts it is exactly like being on next door nowadays like and who do you talk
2: to that's on next door nobody (laughs) i wish to speak to mr newspaper himself john newspaper get out here? here
0: Uh, so he was he was not getting along with his family who probably didn't want to hear about the Civil War over taxes uh, <laughs> He wanted a girlfriend but got rejected when he tried making romantic advances toward a co-worker at this like dead end job that he was working to keep the lights on and he developed a gambling problem so like he is hitting his rock bottom right about now
1: He's doing fucking amazing <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and then Ruby Ridge happened. And Timothy McVeigh becomes utterly enraged. Mm. To McVeigh, Ruby Ridge was a murder, like full stop. It was the government going out of their way to target and murder Americans with guns. So Timothy McVeigh leaves home. He gets in his shitty beat up car and he travels throughout the United States visiting gun show after gun show where he met white supremacists and other anti-government types and he slowly radicalized. And while McVeigh traveled the country working at gun shows, he handed out free cards printed with uh, Lon Horiuchi's name and address, uh, quote, in the hope that somebody in the Patriot movement would assassinate the sharpshooter. Horiuchi was the FBI sniper who shot and killed Vicki Weaver uh, at Ruby Ridge. And McVeigh wrote, hate mail to horiyuchi suggesting that what goes around comes around and like basically did like the 1992 equivalent of doxing, like doxing him yeah yeah,
1: yeah. it's old school doxing yeah with like analog mm-hmm. analog doxing
0: yeah <laughs> <Analog doxing. laughs> <laughs>
1: It's like those religious tracks, it's like somebody like hands it to you on the street, but it's just like some guy's address and being like, right. like, wouldn't it be uh not so bad if this person were dead? I don't know. Not a suggestion or anything. I was just <laughs> I'm just
0: wondering, just wondering your thoughts on that. I'm just wondering out loud. <laughs> The further west he traveled, the more anti-government sentiment McVeigh claimed to encounter until he reached California, or as he called it, the People's Socialist Republic of California.
2: Like, the boomer (laughs) energy is just, like, off the charts. Oh, my God. Grandpa, (laughs) lay down.
1: Jesus. The PSRC? Sounds glorious.
0: I know he was technically a gen x but like that's the most boomer facebook thing i've ever heard like if he was if he was not on this podcast and he was still alive today he would be loving boomer facebook memes
1: it's like in that name (laughs) you can hear how fried all the memes referring to it are like they're like so crispy you can like hear the like crackle (laughs) of the jpeg artifacts
0: (laughs) r.i.p timothy mcveigh you would have loved the minions
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh god God. (laughs) gone too soon i haven't heard anything like super horrible that he did yet so i'm okay making that joke but i feel like i'm about to regret it
0: oh yeah he's like one of the worst people who's ever lived i fucking hate this man oh good uh and I guess I hate the minions. <laughs> Shots fired. Come at me. Oh shit. I don't know any I've, of their I've... names so I can't even taunt them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they don't have names, do they? <laughs>
2: I don't know. I've literally never watched any of those movies, so I
1: have no idea. No. Everything I know about them, I know from gender critical Facebook (laughs) memes. They're like, this little yellow fuck knows what a woman is. Why don't you? (laughs) Do those
2: things even have gender? (laughs) Timothy
0: McVeigh's odyssey ended on top of a hill overlooking the Waco compound during the siege, where McVeigh distributed anti-government pro-gun bumper stickers and literature to protesters and media on the site. In April of 1993, McVeigh had gone to stay with an old army buddy at, at his farmhouse in Michigan, a guy by the name of Terry Nichols. McVeigh and Nichols watched the final days of the Waco siege on Nichols television. McVeigh described watching the fire at the compound on the news, quote, I'm watching flames lick out windows and I'm watching tanks ram walls and my eyes just welled up in tears and tears started coming down my cheeks as I'm watching this scene unfold." I'm not going to shy away from the word rage. For me, I felt absolute
1: rage. Noodles is like shitting, crying, and pissing himself
2: <laughs> yeah. with his
1: old friend, Timmy Nipples.
2: Noodles is boiling. <laughs> noodles and nipples.
1: With rage.
0: Not noodles and nipples.
1: Look, I'm not going to shy away from it. I'm going to say it. I felt rage. I'm like, that's not that's not even like extreme for you. Like yeah. we assumed you had. Like this yeah. isn't like shocking.
2: Yeah. I
0: assumed you were already at the rage yeah. where, stage. What were you at you before
1: know? when you were handing out bumper stickers? Was it just a vibe? Just a
0: low simmer? <laughs> just a little annoyed?
1: <laughs> I'm just like kind of pissed. That's why I'm traveling the entire country trying to get people murdered. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> So McVeigh also sort of buys into a lot of the conspiracy theories at the time, thinking that there had been like some kind of cover up at Waco, and his rhetoric becomes more outwardly hostile and radical after Waco. He started selling ATF hats with bullet holes in them and <laughs> handing out pamphlets comparing Waco to the Warsaw Uprising and claiming that the U.S. government had declared war on the American people. And can I just like, as like a little sidebar, like conservatives love comparing things to the Warsaw Uprising. I don't know why, <laughs> but like I just did a video on Prager You kids and like they, they had a video um, comparing climate denial to the warsaw uprising (laughs) they were like we were basically the jews at warsaw okay
1: god i don't (laughs) i don't understand how easy it is for them half of them probably like make that comparison while also denying the holocaust like
0: (laughs) oh yeah for sure oh 100 percent. they were like if it weren't if we weren't for that uprising they would have been carted away to that (laughs) holocaust that never happened (laughs) Please don't clip that. I guess I was 12 years old. Then, at the end of 1993 and in 1994, the Clinton administration passed some legislation restricting the sale and possession of firearms, the Brady Bill and the assault weapons ban. The American militia movement had seen some spikes following Ruby Ridge and Waco, but the idea that Clinton was coming for their guns led to a huge growth in membership in these underground militia groups that were, remember, fully in- infiltrated by white supremacists. So the white supremacists are using these like militia groups to further radicalize other right-wing people who weren't necessarily white supremacists before they joined them.
1: They were just really big weirdos who loved guns. Mm. (laughs) Just
0: really big weirdos who loved guns. Yeah. And I will say, like, McVeigh was never officially part of any militia group. But, like, all of these militia groups went to the same gun shows that he did. And he was, like, friends with a lot of them. In the way that Randy Weaver was never officially a member of the Aryan Nations, he just was friends with them and shared a lot of their opinions and, like, hung out with them on the rag. Mm -hmm. And the introduction of the firearms legislation on the heels of Waco finally convinced McVeigh that violent action needed to be taken. So Nichols and McVeigh started experimenting with building bombs out of household chemicals. Now, the Turner Diaries sort of generally explained how to build a truck bomb without giving an exact recipe. Um, I'm not going to repeat excerpts about bomb making on our podcast, but like... You know, in the way that you might write a character saying, I baked a cake by mixing eggs, sugar, butter, cake flour, and vanilla extract together and put it in the (laughs) oven, like not technically a recipe for cake, the exact amounts of each ingredient and the time and temperature in the oven aren't there, but like enough of the process that you could probably figure it out with enough trial and error. Yeah. Or you could do what McVeigh did mm-hmm. and you can use those ingredients listed in the book to track down some articles that explain exactly how to make the bombs from the Turner diaries. McVeigh also pulled another old army buddy, Michael Fortier into his plan to make these truck bombs. Um, Fortier and Nichols were also both big fans of the Turner diaries and anti stands of the government. So McVeigh believed that he could rely on the the two of them as Confidants. Fortier's role in what was to come seems mm-hmm. to have been very limited. Uh, and Nichols was slightly more involved, but really it was McVeigh's project. So everything that was done was done under McVeigh's orders.
1: It was his baby.
0: Yeah. Right. This is like, if he was a video essayist, this essay would go on his channel, even if, you know, like he had gotcha. like somebody contribute like a little section to it or some yeah. like Fortier just contributed like a voiceover and like mm-hmm. Nichols like wrote a couple of paragraphs. Gotcha. So they start stockpiling the basic household ingredients that go into
1: a car bomb. Sugar, eggs, flour. I
0: will say it again, without saying like how to make a car bomb on our podcast.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The main ingredients is fertilizer so they're mostly going to home improvement and farm supply stores and just buying bag after bag of cow shit is this
1: now why people are sus when you buy fertilizer yes because i was like i wonder if people understood that at the time but i was like wait no this is probably the thing
0: <laughs> yeah
1: okay. i mean
0: yeah not the first or the last car bomb but <laughs> probably the thing that like for the same reason that like nowadays people are a little bit sus when mm-hmm. you buy too much Sudafed. okay and they also break into a storage shed at a quarry and steal a bunch of explosives from that to make their bomb more powerful so they're building an explosive and they're like putting more explosives in it
1: okay well that's cheating a little it is
0: i think it's cheating a little bit
1: (laughs) that that's legitimately cheating you're like (laughs) i made a cake and it's like no you put icing on a cake (laughs) there is a difference here so basically they took all the ingredients that would make a bomb Mm -hmm. piled it around an actual bomb and they're like this has got to make it explode more
0: (laughs) it's more like they made a cake and then they bought another cake to put on top of it in case the first cake doesn't taste that good so they can be like just eat the top layer
1: <laughs> okay, they bought a cake and they sprinkled cake crumbs on it. Yes. Like- <laughs> yes.
0: Uh, McVeigh also acquired drums of nitromethane racing fuel. That's the fuel that they use in Formula okay. One cars to add
1: to the bomb. Okay.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I that's think that's like it's- the turbo
1: button yeah. from like Fast and the Furious or whatever. Right? I was about
0: to say, I think it's like the fuel from Fast and the
1: Furious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is our scientific contribution to (laughs) to this
0: (laughs) mcveigh and nichols also robbed a guy's house like a guy that they knew to pay for their bomb making materials taking more than sixty thousand dollars worth of guns and silver and gold and then afterwards (laughs) mcveigh wrote a a letter to the guy it was just like some guy they knew um some guy they like robbed his house he didn't he didn't witness it um they robbed his house and then mcveigh afterwards wrote a letter to the guy like i think the federal government did that robbery that happened
1: (laughs) okay that's iconic shit
0: that is genius (laughs) (laughs) oh my
2: god that's so funny
0: Yeah, I only put that in because I loved the scam.
2: Like, <laughs> it's the scams. So good. Damn it. The government robbed your house. I
1: saw some guys stepping on snakes outside your house, <laughs> carrying everything out. <laughs>
0: It takes a long time to stockpile all that stuff. And during this entire time, McVeigh basically goes on another anti-government odyssey as he's collecting these bomb materials. He makes pilgrimage to Waco to pay his respects. Uh, He visits the sites of alleged conspiracy theories like Area 51 and Gulfport, Mississippi, where the United Nations was apparently trying to take over. And he and Nichols start trying to pick out their target, Um, I think it's very funny that like, he's like, I hate the government. So I need to go pay my respects at Area 51. (laughs) (laughs) So Nichols and McVeigh consider targets in Little Rock, Arkansas, in Dallas, Texas, and in Tulsa, Oklahoma. But they finally settled on the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, in part because the ATF had offices on one of the floors. McVeigh would also go on to claim in his official biography that he chose the Murrah building because he wanted to minimize non-governmental casualties, and he ruled out the Simmons Tower in Little Rock, Arkansas, because it had a flower shop on the ground floor.
1: And he was, like, a fan of flowers?
0: He j- uh, Flowers aren't um, government offices. He only wanted to kill governmental employees or like he wanted to minimize the number of non-governmental employees that would be killed. I
1: love love the concept of like minimize. (laughs) It's like, sure, there'll be collateral damage. But like, let's just let's just lower it as much as possible as if government employees are like somehow more evil than the like person down at the flower shop. Put a who pin... I heard was a racist.
0: <laughs> well, he would be okay with that.
1: Oh, yeah, right. So it. of course this is this is why we solved it.
0: Uh you you just opened with the words collateral damage, and I, I want you to put a pin in that. Um There were lots of different federal departments that had offices in the Murrah building, the FBI, Housing and Urban Development, the Social Security Administration, military recruiters, the DEA. And on the second floor of the Murrah building, there was a daycare center for the preschool aged children of federal employees. Now. There is some dispute over whether or not McVeigh knew about the daycare center before the bombing. McVeigh would claim that he hadn't, and if he had, he might have chosen another target. but Nichols would might claim have. in interview might have. But Nichols would claim in interviews <laughs> that McVeigh was aware of the daycare center.
1: Okay, so, flower shop owners? No. Babies, yes. <laughs>
0: Regardless, McVeigh would go on to claim that the children who perished in his attack were collateral damage and that he felt no sympathy for them. Okay. Yeah, you used his exact words, (laughs)
1: Kaylin. Jeez, okay. (laughs) Like, the idea that somehow these children deserve to die because it's in service of your goals... But like a flower shop owner, like there's no logic behind this whatsoever. Yeah. Like, I don't believe the flower shop excuse.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, who cares what he says for after like logical the fact? Yeah.
1: Inconsistency, yes. but like in in a terrorist he, he changed mind. his
0: position on the kids like all the time sometimes he expressed that he had deep regret over it other times he was like i don't give a shit like who and right. who cares what he said after the, the official, yeah after the yeah. fact like he wanted attention
1: there, he yeah
0: McVeigh tells Fortier of his idea to blow up an occupied federal building, and Fortier backs out, saying that innocent people in the building are going to die. I don't know if Fortier thought that they were building the bombs for fun, or if (laughs) he thought that, like, maybe they were going to blow up the building when nobody was in it, which was, like, definitely a tactic used by, like, militant suffragists. Yeah. Um, uh, So I don't don't know what he thought was going to happen, or if he just started getting cold feet, but he was like, no, I don't want to be part of killing innocent
1: people you might have heard well because like there's like janitors Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. there's like random people coming in random people
0: coming in there's a social security administration there's a military recruiter like kids are going to be going in there yeah Um, teenagers um yeah
1: like it's not like you're like it's an atf building they just have like offices Mm -hmm. and an explosion isn't exactly controlled (laughs) like oh okay
0: To that point, I I don't think I put that anywhere in my script, but um, McVeigh, like, before he came up with the bomb idea, his his original plan was just to hold, like, an assassination campaign and just, like, try to take out individual politicians. Mm -hmm. And he, again, sometimes would be, like, happy that he had this legacy, and other times would be like, oh, I wish I hadn't killed all those people. I wish I had done my assassination campaign. Um, And, like... I kind of wish that you'd done your assassination campaign too. (laughs) There'd be a lot less dead 10-month-olds. McVeigh told Fortier that there needed to be a body count if the government was going to take notice. Quote, From a military perspective, to get a message across, you need to hurt them where they hurt most. The only way they're going to feel something and the only way they're going to get the message is with a body count. McVeigh also would not shut up about his plan to attack the U.S. government. He wrote a couple of letters to the ATF calling them stormtroopers and fascist tyrants. Quote, ATF, all you tyrannical motherfuckers will swing in the wind one day for your treasonous actions against the Constitution of the United States. Remember the Nuremberg trials. And he kept trying to recruit other people to his bombing campaign and telling anyone who would listen that he'd graduated from the propaganda phase to the violent action phase. So, like... like it was it was before anything like this had ever happened so maybe i shouldn't like victim blame the government too much but like
2: (laughs) they were very aware of this guy yeah right like there's no way he wasn't like on a list somehow he was making it very easy to find okay
1: but if they maybe you follow someone like this around you give a little a little a little spying a little subterfuge. Gorgeous name for a girl, by the way. Oh my god! And you see them loading like eight hundred pounds of fertilizer into their trunk, and then right? maybe you ask some questions. Yeah, like <laughs> what's with all that fertilizer? Not <laughs> yeah, to victim blame, but like, what was he wearing? Eight hundred pounds of fertilizer and like six bombs. Like that fuse like- was just
2: begging to be lit. <laughs> <laughs> And
0: like, <laughs> like there, are, like there, are, there are very mentally ill people who, who send like unhinged letters off to the government saying that they're gonna like bomb them all the time, but McVeigh was not that. He was like very intelligent, very uh, like um
1: ex-military. He was
0: ex-military. Um, he his like the prison psychologist was like he seems like a very reasonable like grounded young man um like he he was not he was not the the um mentally ill person that you really don't have to worry about that's more of a danger to themselves than to anyone else like this was a cold calculated killer Mm -hmm. mcveigh picks the date of april 19th because it will be the anniversary of the fire at waco and on Easter Sunday, 1995, three days before, McVeigh calls Nichols and basically just says, it's time. Nichols and McVeigh drove to Oklahoma City from Kansas in separate cars, and McVeigh placed his getaway car in a parking lot with a sign in the window that says, please don't tow, and they drove back to Kansas. <laughs> like, <laughs> I wish somebody had towed that fucking car. Oh my car. god, the
1: please. They were like, <laughs> they tow. went to tow it, they're like, oh, we can't, the sign
2: the sign like a, again, like
1: a vampire looking at a cross it's just like
2: it's very of the explorer energy you know the tow or no towing
0: <laughs> the next day mcveigh rented the truck that would be his bomb which honestly like yeah if you're gonna make a truck bomb make it out of a rental not like a truck that you own right yeah like, absolutely <laughs> yeah again like i i don't respect most of the things that he's done. But the scammy things I kind of respect. Uh,
1: and also, like, I'm sure they have insurance.
0: Yeah. Although they are. <laughs> you know how, like, when you rent a car, they ask if you want to pay for the extra insurance. Oh, yeah. Like, no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. <laughs> it's fine. Can you help me? Um, I have, like... 1400 bags of fertilizer I need to load <laughs> into the trunk of your car um could I get somebody here to help me or who do I ask
0: <laughs> the alias he used to rent the car because this was 1995 and you could rent a car with an alias oh my god yes was yes Robert D. Kling he would later claim that he chose the name because he knew a guy named Kling in the army and also because it reminded him of the Klingon in Star Trek like okay i was
2: literally just thinking cling on <laughs> <I was> literally <laughs> what i was thinking
1: <laughs> this man a bag of bricks the, the like <laughs> like the this is like eight-year-old logic right? (laughs) like i'm so sorry but
2: i know a guy named this and also the klingons from star trek are cool
1: (laughs) (laughs) thanks for letting us know thank you
2: for painting a picture
1: i'm not obviously one to judge someone for a stupid alias (laughs) (laughs) but like come on put your back into it at least like crowdsource coming up with something good he
0: like he took the care to like he he intentionally picked like a date that was like commemorating something like he took so much care like at least pick an alias that's like you know important to you not just like yeah i thought it sounded cool because i like star trek use
1: a <laughs> like bobby turner or whatever yeah. from the book you fucking moron
0: yeah right <laughs> on april 18th mcveigh drove the truck to a state park in kansas to assemble the bomb and Nichols started to get cold feet mcveigh threatened to kill Nichols and his family if he didn't help him assemble the bomb so Nichols helped him with the assembly but then says that he's not going to go with him to actually do the deed and mcveigh agrees on that so they just kind of shake hands and Nichols is like okay good luck Bye.
1: (laughs) See you, nips. See you, nudes.
0: (laughs) On the morning of April 19th, 1995, McVeigh put on a t-shirt that said sic simper tyrannis, which means thus always to tyrants. And it's what John Wilkes Booth shouted when he leapt from the theater box after shooting Abraham Lincoln in the head. (laughs) On the back, it had a tree with a picture of three blood droplets and the Thomas Jefferson quote, the tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. Um, so i have to assume that mcveigh got that shirt custom made right (laughs) like he didn't just buy his assassination shirt at target
1: the guy at the like t-shirt shop (laughs) like screen printing this like damn Uh... this is weird
2: This is intense. Anyway, isn't 10.
1: Anyway. <laughs> anyway, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Should I call
1: somebody? No, I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> he spent more time on that T-shirt than he did on his alias. Like...
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> I know. This is what I don't get. He picks the perfect date. He spends months collecting bomb materials. He gets a special shirt screen printed, and then he really fumbles with the with the alias. Yeah. McVeigh entered Oklahoma City in the truck around 8:50 a.m. He parked the truck in a drop-off zone situated under the Murrah building's daycare center and lit a five-minute fuse, exited and locked the vehicle, and then walked away from the building. Quote, I walked very slowly towards the YMCA. Once I got in the blind alley of the YMCA, I did a jog because nobody was looking.
1: A little secret jog.
0: (laughs) I kind of laughed a little bit there because it's funny to imagine him like walking away slowly whistling and then running. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> also he's like too scared to jog with people looking as if like somebody jogging through the city would be weird the only reason he didn't do it is because people were like look at that noodle just flapping along <laughs> blo- head blowing back in the wind
0: instead of your silly custom t-shirt you could have dressed in athletic wear and then nobody would have even thought it was weird yeah. that you were running
1: right like, why is that guy in that double sided terrorist shirt sprinting down the street? <laughs> the walking and whistling is so much more oh, like sauce than suspicious. somebody jogging,
0: you know. What and somebody, uh, somebody did see him on the day. Um, god, I can't remember who it was. Like, somebody, um, it was like former military, um, because the Murrah building had military recruitment in it, and they remembered seeing this guy with like a crew cut like a military crew cut walking away from the building and they were like that's weird you'd think he'd be going inside
1: (laughs) i mean that's weird i mean that that's also a weird thing to say because like people also have to leave the building after
0: (laughs) he must have seen him park his car in the parking lot and then walk away from the building you know
1: oh okay okay (laughs) that makes sense like parks car in front gets up goes to like the front of the building and then keeps walking and then like turns down an alleyway whistling (laughs) "Uh,
0: that's weird i should hang on to this memory in case something very strange happens at 902 a.m the truck containing more than two tons of explosives detonated in the front of the north side of the nine-story alfred p murrah federal building um I'm going to send you guys a couple of pictures. The first is going to be the building before it was destroyed and the second is going to be the building
1: after cuz you need to see this. Ooh okay. So
0: this is what the building looked before looked like before it was destroyed.
1: Um this building okay. Looks like very easy to blow up.
0: This is a picture of the
2: building after. Oh no. Jesus
1: fuck off holy
2: shit look at that fuck yeah um these images by the way will be available on our instagram and in, in the uh, show notes um but yeah we're looking at we the first picture is like a very square normal looking i guess tall building uh, and the second picture is it just has this huge hole in the side now from top to bottom from top to bottom yeah it's it almost looks like uh, like a third of the building is gone jesus
0: i didn't send you a picture of timothy mcveigh because um i didn't feel like i needed to because he just looks like exactly what you think he's gonna look like but would you like me to send one now yeah sure there he is all right buddy
2: yeah he looks exactly like i expected yeah yeah like literally he he looks like
1: oh god that police sketch is like if you the the forensic sketch yeah the way they uh (laughs) they did his head so dirty
0: oh
1: (laughs) like his skull is just like flat on the top but they got him like they got his face like identical
0: His police sketch actually looks exactly like Mark Zuckerberg.
1: Oh, fuck, you're right. (laughs) I can't not see it. it now.
0: An estimated 646 people were in the building at the time of the explosion. The first 911 call came within a minute of the bomb going off, and EMS immediately set up a command post on site for triage and rescue efforts. Within the first hour, 50 people were saved from the building, but many more survivors were trapped within the collapsed building. Regular temporary silences were observed so that listening devices could be used to detect human heartbeats. Jesus. An on-site triage center starts redirecting the injured to pretty much every hospital in the area, wherever there's an open bed, and within the first couple of hours, over 210 injured have been redirected to various hospitals. At around 10 a.m., a surgeon at one of the local hospitals... Dr. Andrew Sullivan got a call that a woman was trapped in the rubble and needed her leg to be amputated if they had any hope of getting her out. Mm. Quote, so I got an amputation set. I got some nylon rope and away I went. When I got to the building, it was surreal. There were a lot of first responders there who had pretty well set things up so they could take somebody away the minute they found them. And then I was led into the basement. They led me to where Dana was trapped. There was a first responder with his hand on the beam that her leg had been trapped i think he means trapped under if it trembled or moved we were told we had to go the beam was lying in her leg her tibia just below the knee basically to do the amputation i had to lie with my legs up by her head and so i took the traction rope and tightened it down so that i had a tourniquet and then you know it's kind of like diving into ice water i had to start I don't remember how many times I thought that I had completed the amputation and we would try to extract Dana and she was still caught. I reached Ooh. a point where all of the blades were broken and there was nothing else to do, but I had in my pocket a pocket knife that I keep very sharp. The thing that was keeping us from extracting her was the patellar tendon and the quadriceps tendon. And once I cut through that, then I could kind of get a sense that the leg was free and we were able to extract her. Jesus.
2: Ugh. Um,
0: that was all done obviously without any kind of anesthesia it was like a wartime
1: yeah i was about yeah. to say um
0: presumably she was in shock no. so she probably actually didn't feel that much but um the, the you can't anesthetize somebody trapped in a building
1: <laughs> yeah you're not <laughs> just like okay let's hang an iv from that rebar poking <laughs> through that guy's chest like
0: at around 10:28, rescuers found what they believed was the second bomb and started trying to evacuate emergency response personnel from the building uh but the team of rescuers headed by dr sullivan refused to leave dana bradley the second device that had been discovered was an inert missile from a planned law enforcement sting remember it was a government building so there was like stuff like that inside and yeah, yeah. Oh, just around yeah it's like oh sorry guys i didn't mean to leave this here. Yeah. <laughs> sorry just and- my missile <laughs> just my, my, rocket my,
1: launcher. Launcher.
2: <laughs> <That's> my missile <laughs>
1: so like um yeah if you need any supplies uh by the way like uh I'm Kaelin. Welcome to your first day. If you need supplies, post-its and pencils are in this cabinet here. And if you need like a rocket launcher, we keep them in this (laughs) cabinet over here. It's locked, but we leave the key in it. So don't really worry. You don't need to ask anyone. Just write a note or something if you take something.
0: Yeah, just sign it out on the board.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, sometimes we forget. It's no big deal, but just try.
0: (laughs) So rescue efforts were continued 45 minutes later. Dana Bradley and her sister, Felicia, survived the bombing, but their mother and Dana's two young children died. The family had been in the building that morning to run a quick errand in one of the offices. Jesus. In an interview with PBS, police inspector Jerry Flowers described the process of extricating people from the rubble that day. Quote, we could hear people screaming. We could hear them screaming. We could hear them crying. You just couldn't see them because it's so dark. When they fired up these lights, you could see the floors had fallen on top of each other and created like a dungeon underneath the Murrah building. Everywhere you looked in this floor that you could see, there were these round circles of coagulated blood that were coming through the cracks of the floor. These circles were three and four feet in diameter, and they're everywhere, seemed like everywhere, and you knew that that was a person that had been crushed.
1: What the fuck? Yeah. No. Yeah. The way, like the PTSD from going, like I know a lot of first responders get like extreme PTSD, especially when it comes to like a
0: Mm -hmm. a mass Mass tragedies. Yeah, Mm
1: -hmm. but like I would never. Oh my god! Like even hearing that, I am never gonna get over it. Like (laughs) you just gave me PTSD (laughs) from describing it. (laughs) But these poor fucking people (laughs) who put themselves mm-hmm. out there and like this is dangerous because yes. you're climbing in you're trying to help people anything can mm-hmm. can collapse in on you crum- like obviously there's nothing like stable about this situation
2: mm-hmm. <sighs> mm-hmm. like
1: i don't the people that do this like fire departments like and also
2: to jesus. know that and, and the whole time yeah. you're hearing people mm-hmm. too i think that's the part that gets to me as well like hearing people crying and screaming and wanting to get to them but not being able to yeah you can't right away because yeah there's all this debris in the and way even, like, like that. clearing Oof. the
1: debris could kill them because something could mm-hmm. dislodge right. and fall. like everything that you're doing is could kill you or someone else like oh jesus fucking christ
0: yeah Mm-hmm. The last survivor, 15-year-old Brandy Liggins, was pulled from the building at 7 p.m. 167 people were dead, including 19 children. The youngest victim was only three months old. The Jesus. oldest was 73. And three of the victims were pregnant women. <sighs> Over 600 were injured.
1: 600.
0: Over 600 injuries. Jesus. Of varying degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I'm I'm not going to share it with you. Um, just in case you don't want to see it, but there is a Pulitzer prize winning photo of a fireman carrying an infant out of the bomb site that really is quite powerful, but the infant later died at the hospital. So I'm not going to drop this photo in the chat in case you guys would like to avoid seeing that, but I just had to mention it because it is like, it's a, it's an incredibly powerful photo. Mm During the recovery efforts that stretched until May 5th, there would be an 168th victim, a nurse by the name of Rebecca Anderson, who died after being hit by falling debris. Timothy McVeigh's getaway car did not have a license plate on it, so he was pulled over by a state trooper very shortly after the bombing. Jesus. Rookie mistake.
1: You put a fake (laughs) license plate on or you steal somebody else's. Yeah
0: right just when state trooper charles j hanger sees that he is also wearing a six semper Tyrannus shirt and carrying a weapon he arrests (laughs) him for driving without a license and carrying an illegal firearm he's like wait a minute something's not right here Meanwhile, the FBI tracked down the rental company in Junction City that owned the truck used in the bomb because the VIN number was still visible on the rear axle, and the employees at the rental agency give them a pretty good description of Robert Kling, that, you know, police sketch.
1: Mm-hmm. Robert <laughs> Kling.
0: Robert Kling. <laughs> so FBI agents swarm Junction, Junction City and also managed to find the motel McVeigh stayed in the night before the attack When they're interviewing the motel manager, they find that McVeigh accidentally signed his real name to the motel
2: register. (laughs) (laughs) Dumb. Oh my god! He's like, my alias is so shitty. I'm not even gonna bother using it. Who even fills out the motel register? Like, what do you want to get? Like postcards from them? (laughs) Putting
0: down your address. So the FBI runs a search to see if the name Timothy McVeigh has any connection to any other arrests, and wouldn't you know, he just got arrested for driving without a license and carrying an illegal firearm and for wearing a dumb shirt. (laughs) (laughs) McVeigh was indicted on 11 federal counts, including conspiracy to use a weapon of mass destruction, use of a weapon of mass destruction, destruction with the use of explosives, and eight counts of first-degree murder for the deaths of law enforcement, officers on august 10th 1995 terry nichols michael fortier and michael fortier's wife laurie were also all arrested as accomplices mcveigh ordered his defense to plead the necessity defense which is an exculpatory defense that basically you had to break the law to prevent a greater harm being like <laughs> the government which harm the government the government doing government uh, things yeah. was the greater harm um, his defense did not do that
2: <laughs> <laughs> they like no they're like that That
0: idea is fucking dumb
1: <laughs> like that's really um unique and just as stupid <laughs> and since you're definitely going to prison if not to death I'm just not gonna ruin my own career as a lawyer. Yeah. I don't think. <laughs> exactly <laughs> by right. being a stupid fucking bitch about this. yeah. if I want to uh,
2: if I want to end my career, then I'll do it.
1: <laughs> do we go with insanity?
0: Uh, no, they didn't go with insanity. Um, I think they knew he was he was going to prison. Um, they basically just tried to argue that McVeigh wasn't alone and that he was like the victim of a white supremacist grand conspiracy. Like he was like a patsy um, in, I guess, maybe the idea to get like a reduced sentence or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Or or just not the death penalty.
1: That was on the table in
0: in Oklahoma. Still on the table in Oklahoma, yep. baby.
1: <laughs> okay, I don't know what an Oklahoma is, so I was just yep. wondering
0: <laughs> actually this was a this was a federal trial, oh, yeah, so yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. still yeah. on the trip. yeah, um uh we'll uh, we'll actually circle okay. back to that later. It was not the state of Oklahoma. McVeigh hated the whole grand conspiracy argument because above all things, what he really wanted was credit for the bombing. He wanted to be famous, right. Leonard Zeskind, author of Blood and Politics, The History of the White Nationalist Movement from the Margins to the Mainstream, uh, very long book title, points out that while the conspiracy argument was bullshit, like, technically... Um, it's kind of letting the white supremacist movement off easy to just write off Timothy McVeigh as like a lone killer quote. Mm -hmm. There was no massive conspiracy that much is clear, but the idea that Timothy McVeigh was a lone killer is wrongheaded because it absolves the movement from which it sprang. Timothy McVeigh was not on his own. He was a creation of the white supremacist movement. He carried the Turner Diaries around and read it to people. He lived at the gun shows. He met neo-Nazis and visited with them. He was part of this movement. And the idea that there was no connection between white supremacist movement and the events in Oklahoma City is patently false. There was a strong connection, and it was a deep connection. The day that he drove into Oklahoma City, he brought like a few pages of the Turner Diaries with him in his pocket like i guess like his bible or whatever
2: Mm -hmm. like yeah
0: yeah michael fortier agreed to testify against mcveigh and nichols in exchange for a reduced sentence and immunity for his wife like his wife barely did anything she just like helped them laminate some fake ids and like who knows how much she knew about (laughs) She was like, yeah, you want some fake IDs? Okay. You want a little fake ID that says Robert Clinton? There's
1: nothing wrong with a little lamination. Yeah. Okay. Like, let the girl cook.
0: Yeah. Make them sandwiches. Michael Fortier was sentenced on May 27th, 1998 to 12 years in prison and fined $75,000 for failing to warn authorities about the attack. On January 20th, 2006, Fortier was released from prison, transferred into the Witness Protection Program, and given a new identity.
1: Robert Kling.
0: (laughs) Terry Nichols was tried by the federal government and found guilty of conspiring to build a weapon of mass destruction and eight counts of involuntary manslaughter of federal officials. And then he was again tried by the state of Oklahoma for an additional 161 deaths, which included the other 160 non-federal agent deaths and I guess like one of the pregnant women's fetuses was also considered maybe she was like far enough along that uh, in the state of Oklahoma that counted Mm -hmm. at the time um so yeah the uh the federal government only tried Nichols and McVeigh for the deaths of the federal employees and then um the additional deaths had to be um tried by the state of Oklahoma Nichols was found guilty of all charges and is still serving out a life sentence. Timothy McVeigh was found guilty of all 11 federal charges on June 2nd, 1997. At his sentencing on June 13th, the jury recommended the death penalty. Because of this, the state of Oklahoma ended up not bringing charges on the other 160 counts of murder. Timothy McVeigh wanted to be a martyr for the cause, and he was pleased with his sentencing. He requested a nationally televised execution, which was denied. Said McVeigh, Death penalty is... Would you call it an oxymoron? Death is not a penalty. It's an escape. They treat me like a trophy. They've got me. They want to kill me. We've won. They didn't win. In the crudest terms, 168 to 1. He also said... I knew I wanted this before it happened. I knew my objective was state assisted suicide. And when it happens, it's in your face. I don't support the death penalty um, as a matter of principle anyway, but this just kind of like adds to my, to my position on that. Like yeah. McVeigh wanted to die. He wanted the state to kill him. He wanted, he wanted to, be a, to be a martyr. Like, yeah. yeah, and he sees this as a game. He said yeah. he's still uh, yeah. 168 to one. Mm-hmm. On June 11, 2001, Timothy McVeigh was brought to the execution chamber at the Terre Haute Federal Penitentiary, and at 7.14 a.m., he was executed by lethal injection as over 200 families and survivors watched over closed-circuit television. Witnesses at his execution described his expression as blank, defiant, lacking in regret. His body was cremated and was banned from burial in a military cemetery per a special piece of legislation signed by Bill Clinton. Before his death, McVeigh had written about considering having his ashes scattered at the site of the Oklahoma City bombing memorial, where the Murrow building had once stood, but he decided against it. Their location remains a secret. Many of the survivors of the Oklahoma City bombing still struggle to move on from the bombing nearly 30 years later. They still suffer from post-traumatic stress, nightmares, and debilitating lifelong injuries. In an interview for K4 News in Oklahoma City, days before the 25th anniversary in 2015, Brandy Ligon, the last survivor pulled from the building, talked about the difficulty of life post-Oklahoma City. Brandy was permanently disabled, unemployed, and struggling to take care of herself and her five children. There is a foundation for survivors, but Brandy claimed the aid for long-term cases like hers was limited. Many of the more than 600 survivors of the Oklahoma City bombing serve the memorial and the museum at the site of the Murrah Federal Building, where their names are etched on a piece of surviving wall. And many more can't go back there. The Oklahoma City bombing was the deadliest terror attack on U.S. soil until the 9-11 attacks in 2001, and it remains the deadliest act of domestic terror the American militia movement is still active and growing in the United States. According to the Southern Poverty Law Center, there are more than 500 white supremacist militias in the United States, and presumably within those militias, there are many more potential Timothy McVeighs. Timothy McVeighs' story, his legacy, is partly the extremist wing of the American militia movement. But there's another part we're going to talk about as well. There's a bit of a fork in the road here. We're gonna take a break from this story, and then the next time I come back to present, we're gonna take that fork in the road in the radical white supremacist movement post-McVeigh. And we're gonna talk about Columbine and the birth of the modern American mass shooter. You've been listening to Respect the Dead, the podcast where we don't. There are a couple ways to support us.
1: Patreon supporters get bonuses like extended episodes with audio from the cutting room floor and adding cadavers to our suggestion cemetery.
2: Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and we might read it out on the show. Follow Respect the Dead on all platforms at underscore respect the dead.
0: Thanks so much for listening. See you next Monday for another Worm Feast.
1: I'm Kaylin Conrad.
2: I'm Ailey Mandy. And I'm Hoots. Bye. Bye.